0: The following podcast contains adult content, explicit language, and sexual themes. Listener discretion is advised. And it contains murder. Lots and lots of murder. You stinking bastard. People tell me,
1: you're going to go die and go to hell. I think someone's blown. I'm Nine hundred
0: and eleven, to find that one more. On, where's your emergency? Oh, this is Katie. Look what pretty one, Look.
1: What's your problem? And goes, Don't
0: be a hero, mate.
1: And I said, I'm not trying to be a hero, but the police are coming. One in the chest, one in the hip. Fired by Detective Sergeant Roger Rogerson. I was uh, branching out. That's when the cannibalism started eating of the heart and uh, the arm muscle. I, I would have nailed Carl Williams' hands to a coffee table and just, just pulled his backside. Carl Williams is a wobbly bottom liberal cherub face, cherub little boy who, 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 who's,
0: who's alive with me. i harm someone each time i
1: kill someone. to be an enormous amount of, especially uh, at first,
0: an enormous amount of, of, of horror guilt, remorse afterwards. But then that impulse to do it again would come back even stronger.
1: This is part two of Blood Oath, The Van Crevel Evil. Now, if you haven't listened to part one and you want anything that we're saying to make sense, you might want to go back and listen to episode 146 before listening to this one.
0: One week before his trial for the murders of David O'Hearn and Frank Arkell, Mark Van Crevel levels accusations of sexual abuse against his father Jack for the first time. It's seen by many as a cynical ploy to reduce his culpability in the murders.
1: Although Jack says that he was hard on Mark, he denies the claims of sexual abuse. In a disturbed emotional state and believing whatever Mark's sister and his sort of girlfriend Belinda tells him, Mark's best friend Keith spirals out of control and the consequences are deadly.
0: Hi, I'm Barney Black.
1: And I'm Tara Saraban.
0: And this is Bloody Murder.
1: We're a comedy true crime podcast focusing on some of the lesser known crime stories from Australia.
0: And indeed around the globe.
1: Being a comedy true crime podcast means that we use dark humour as a means to tell horrifying stories, but never at the expense of the victims or their families.
0: If you think humour has no business being associated with tragedy, then Bloody Murder may not be the podcast for you.
1: We're recording this episode remotely in our chambers of self-isolation, so apologies if the sound quality isn't up to our usual standard.
0: Some listeners seem to think Tara and I live together and do everything together, like Bert and Ernie, so apologies for bursting that bubble.
1: Now before we commence our sordid tales, we'd like to remind you that this episode is brought to you by our wonderful and generous patrons.
0: We've had quite a few new ones join our new fancy Patreon program this week, which we will thank individually after our story.
1: If you'd like to become a patron, go to our website for details. That's bloodymurderpodcast.com.
0: As a patron, you have access to loads of other episodes, including our pungent and tasty first <laughs> season and ad-free versions of all of our regular episodes.
1: As well as exclusive patron-only monthly episodes where we really go for gold.
0: Levels above $5 receive free stickers and handmade Barney badges.
1: And of course, you're automatically entered into the drawer for our monthly giveaways.
0: All right, Tara, let's get murdery.
1: In episode one of The Van Crevel Evil, we discuss the brutal, satanic-tinged murders of shopkeeper David O'Hearn and former mayor and accused pedophile Frank Arkell. After following the evidence, detectives zeroed in on Mark Van Crevel, but before they had a chance to arrest him, Mark turned himself in and confessed to the gruesome slayings. What happens next sounds like it came from the writers' room of a low-budget soap opera that had long since jumped the shark, So strap yourselves in.
0: Oh yeah, you might want to consider wearing a helmet. (laughs)
1: Or two. In part one, we mentioned that on August 6, 1998, two men, looking like low-budget ninjas, armed with a samurai sword and a machete, robbed an Ampol service station in Albion Park.
0: The two knuckleheads claimed a rich booty of $307 and some packets of cigarettes.
1: Now it turns out that the low-budget ninjas were in fact Mark Van Crevel and his BFFF, bizarre haircut lover, Keith Schreiber. After his arrest for the armed robbery, Keith pleaded guilty and on June 4th, 1999, fronted the Wollongong District Court to be sentenced. Keith's legal aid solicitor, Maureen Phillips, spoke in court about Keith's insomnia and frustration due to his inability to find a decent job after saying goodbye to his fish-gutting gig. His solicitor tried to make the case that locking Keith up wouldn't be the best outcome in this scenario. She argued that he'd get more out of a structured and supervised program that would help him learn more job skills and improve his self-esteem. Judge Phelan noted that this was Keith's first offence but warned... Hardly a week goes by that this court doesn't have to deal with someone who has just become an adult and has held up one of the local service stations. It really has to stop.
0: Being a service station attendant in Wollongong sounds like a dangerous endeavour, yeah, Tara. it
1: really does. As Keith had enrolled in the Illawarra Institute of Technology to get a welding certificate and improve his job prospects, he was only given community service for the armed robbery. Under the supervision of a probation officer, Keith was also to attend stress and anger management courses. He seemed to be going well for a while, but the stress of his BFFF, Mark's trial, saw him start to suffer mood swings.
0: Of course, Mark's role in sticking up the Ampol service station was moot, as he was already in custody. Yeah. On September 30th, 1998, Mark Van Crevel pleaded not guilty to murder but guilty to manslaughter on the grounds of provocation and diminished responsibility. Crown Prosecutor Paul Conlon disputed the claims of manslaughter based on the statements Mark gave when he was arrested. During his initial interview, Mark said of his first victim, David O'Hearn, "'I don't know much anything about David himself, but, um, I murdered him. I don't know much about him. I didn't know him as a person.' I had in my mind that I wanted to kill someone that day. I was really angry that day. When asked if there was any reason why he did it, Mark answered, Why I killed David O'Hearn? No, not really. I mean, I was angry, but no particular reason, no. Mark also said he'd never met his second victim, Frank Arkell, but wanted to kill him because he falsely thought he was a convicted pedophile.
1: Yeah, Frank Arkell was an accused pedophile, not a convicted one. He was due to appear in court, uh, but he got murdered before he could do that.
0: Also mentioned was Mark's threat to his father, Jack, that he was to be his third murder victim. In light of this evidence, the prosecution would not accept his plea of manslaughter. When Mark was charged with the murders of Arkell and O'Hearn, his father Jack was crushed. He figured since he'd been the one to raise Mark, the murders were his fault. He was desperate to take responsibility for Mark's actions due to the guilt he felt. Although Jack was called as a witness for the prosecution, he would often speak with Mark's defence team. His friends said he knew Mark was claiming he'd abused him as a kid. It seemed he went along with Mark's claims of violence in the hopes Mark could use them to plead diminished responsibility and receive a lighter sentence. All Jack wanted was for Mark to be free again. Despite never mentioning these accusations earlier, one week before his trial was due to start, Mark Van Crevel, now going by the name Mark Valera, accused his dad, Jack, of sexual abuse.
1: Now, strangely enough, Mark hadn't said a word about it before then. Not after his arrest, not during numerous police interviews not when speaking to psychologists or during the walkthroughs of the crime scenes or anything.
0: After 23 months on remand, Mark Van Crevel stood trial for the murders of David O'Hearn and Frank Arkell. Despite the severity of the charges, Mark had a bit of fun in court. He and Keith and Belinda would pull faces and wave at each other through the courtroom door. And while she was giving evidence, his ex-girlfriend had to ask the court to tell Mark to stop pulling faces at her. Classic Mark. As we mentioned earlier, Mark's defence, always looking for new angles, claimed he had committed the horrendous murders because he was sexually abused by his father. Adding insult to injury and death, they claimed David O'Hearn had pulled his own pants down, assumed a provocative position and asked Mark to have anal sex with him.
1: In response, the prosecution presented the evidence of David O'Hearn's pants that clearly showed blood spatters down the legs and on the back of his jeans. This proved the jeans were up and being worn by David O'Hearn when he was attacked, not down, as Mark had claimed.
0: Mark said when apparently propositioned, he had flashed back the sexual acts allegedly committed on him by his father, lost control and killed O'Hearn. A similar motive was presented for Frank R. Kell's murder. Despite evidence to the contrary, the defence persisted with their claim. His defence barrister, John Nicholson SC, said... It was the request of each victim that Mark Van Crevel should be the active partner in penile-anal intercourse and that his father had sexually abused him in his childhood from about the age of seven and that his father had sexually abused him in his childhood from about the age of seven and that his father had submitted him to acts of anal penetration some five times between the ages of 12 and the age of 15 and he had been asked by his father to reverse those roles. Prosecutor Paul Conlon was not going to let this trial turn into a waterfall of lies and bullshit. Mark had been very inconsistent with his claims of being forced to sexually penetrate his father. Conlon highlighted for the court that the first time Mark's counsel asked him about it, Mark had replied he didn't do it. The second time Mark's counsel asked him, Mark replied that he had done it and under cross-examination from Conlon, Mark admitted that he didn't only penetrate his father though he couldn't say why he had told the court earlier that he did. Mark's defence barrister told the court it was only when the power of Satan flowed through him or that he became of Satan himself that Mark was so powerful he could kill the man he hated, his father.
1: Ah, this is all just... (sighs) The gay provocation defence is and always has been homophobic bullshit. Claiming you killed a man because he hit on you should never have become a thing. Women deal with this shit every day without killing people. You know what would happen if a woman claimed a guy hit on her so she murdered him?
0: She'd be asked what she was wearing at the time.
1: Damn straight. Mark told the courtroom that his earliest memory of his father being violent with him was at about the age of six when he was tossed into a toy box. Mark said that his father once threatened him by pointing a gun at his head and saying that he would blow his brains out, causing Mark to wet himself. Mark also stated that his father frequently punched him and kicked him, saying this had happened a few times a week until he was 15. Then at the age of 17, Mark claimed Jack punched him so hard in the face that Mark had to go to hospital. Despite it being only a few years before the trial, there was no record of this apparent hospital visit. In addition to physical cruelty, Mark alleged that his father psychologically abused him too, calling him names. He said that as a boy he had a stutter and his father used to tease him about it. He also claimed that his father used to threaten to kill both him and his sister Belinda. Jack Van Crevel stated in court that he had a bad temper and he did indeed frequently hit and verbally abuse his son throughout his childhood but he vehemently denied the abuse was of a sexual nature. Mark's usually absent mother, Elizabeth Carroll, alleged in court that Jack would make her wank him off in front of the children when they were together. Jack Van Crevel denied this happened as well. The judge even offered Jack immunity from charges if he testified that he had sexually abused his son, but Jack continued to be adamant that no such abuses had taken place. Tony Van Crevel, who was Mark's uncle and Jack's brother, took to the stand to dispute the claim that Jack had abused his son sexually or otherwise. Jack's relatives and friends didn't believe that he abused his kids either. They thought Jack was just admitting it, to give Mark some mitigation for his horrendous crimes. They would later tell journalists that Jack perjured himself to save his son. Mark would go on to tell the court a bizarre story about David O'Hearn that deviated wildly from what he'd told police earlier. In this version, Mark said he'd met David O'Hearn months before he killed him and cut off his head. He claimed that in February 1998, he'd gone to O'Hearn's shop in Dapto with some mates to buy some refreshments. According to Mark, O'Hearn stared straight at him in an unusual way. And when Mark was paying for the drinks, O'Hearn said, Something what you like and something what I like. Something what you like and something what I like. Like I've read that line dozens of times and it just doesn't make sense to me as a pickup line. Me either. I don't I just don't get it. Can we you know what? Can we have sexy Barney try it? Like if anyone's gonna make it work as a pickup line, it's sexy Barney, right?
0: Okay. Hey, baby, something what you like, something what I like?
1: Mm, Yeah, it sounds half-baked. I wish Mark had come up with something better. Mark said that he went back to the shop on the morning of the day that he killed O'Hearn. Apparently, he went into a closet in the shop with O'Hearn, who allegedly then masturbated him and invited Mark to his house that evening. Later, when Mark got to his place, he said O'Hearn gave him a drink and sat beside him on a sofa where they watched a pornographic video. Mark told the court that was when O'Hearn propositioned him and he whacked O'Hearn on the head with a wine decanter after becoming enraged. Also, according to Mark, he removed the pornographic video and took it away with him, but he did not put anything in its place. Evidence in the prosecution's case showed there was a video in the VCR about the royal family which had a segment involving Her Majesty the Queen, none of which was of a pornographic nature.
0: More's a pity, I love the Queen and her self-titled band.
1: (laughs) The more the defence presented, the more the prosecution shot it down.
0: Again in a claim wildly different to what he'd said to police when arrested, Mark tried to spin a story that he'd been involved in a sexual relationship with Frank Arkell that developed in 1997, a year before he murdered him. Shadowing the story he told about O'Hearn, Mark said his relationship with Arkell began with masturbation but proceeded to what Mark described as oral sex and anal intercourse. According to Mark, Arkell wanted Mark to penetrate him anally on the night he killed him. Mark said he felt put on the spot and he described the attack which followed as frenzied, saying he'd lost all control. Mark's defence claimed that his need for a father figure put Mark at risk of a homosexual entrapment.
1: Oh, the homophobia in the defence's case is off the fucking charts.
0: That's pathetic, isn't it? Yes. Well, the prosecutor, Mr Conlon, went on to make the point that the first time Mark had told anyone about the alleged sexual abuse from his father was just seven days before the trial began.
1: Ah, the homophobic clutching at straws defence.
0: Mark had never made these claims to his sister or any of his friends and there was no evidence to support them. Even his sister Belinda couldn't come up with much, saying she never saw anything to indicate Jack was sexually abusing his son.
1: Ah, uh, she did say that she heard their dad walk down the hallway into his room on occasion.
0: Yeah, no parent does that. Oh,
1: it's very incriminating.
0: The jury didn't buy into any of Mark's bullshit or his defence of diminished responsibility because of sexual abuse. On Friday, August 8th, 2000, 21-year-old Mark Van Crevel was found guilty of the murders of David O'Hearn and Frank Arkell. After the verdict was read out, Mark's mother, Elizabeth, screamed, ''That's my son. I brought him into the world. It's not fair. His father did it to him.'' Mark Van Crevel then looked to where David O'Hearn's family was sitting in the gallery and gave them a shit-ending grin. Wanker. As he was being led away, he called to his mother saying, ''Pedophiles always get away with it. Don't worry about it.'' Later on the courtroom steps, Mark's mother shrieked at the throng of reporters This is his father's fault. I'll get you, Jack. His sister, Belinda Van Crevel also publicly blamed their dad for Mark's crimes. He drove him to it, eh? He drove him to do what he did. He's the one that should be in jail, not my brother. Mark being found guilty meant the sexual abuse claims against Jack had been disproved. The detectives who worked on the case were worried this wasn't clearly pointed out in the media's reporting. They were concerned that people reading about the trial may not have understood that Mark had lied about the abuse and were appalled to think they might have sympathy for such a heartless murderer. Family friend Anne Stafford told the media many times that she would look after Belinda and Mark before school as Jack started work early. She'd always look after them when they finished school until Jack came home from work. Sometimes she would bathe them too and they often went swimming together. This arrangement lasted for many years. She said that she had never seen any bruises or other evidence of violence on the kids over this time, nor did the children ever act scared of their father. A 2014 article in the Age newspaper about the trial stated, Respected forensic psychiatrist Dr Rod Milton, who had worked on some of Australia's worst murders, including the Granny Killer case, says he found these killings particularly chilling. Called as an expert witness in the case, he told the court that Valera, who had changed his name from Van Crevel, he told police that of hatred for his father, was on track to becoming a serial killer and that he had derived immense pleasure from killing his victims. To him, it was a game.
1: Possibly in the hope of supporting Mark's claims, or just because she wanted to manipulate her new sort of boyfriend, Keith, Belinda told him that her three-year-old daughter, Tia, was being sexually abused by her father, Jack. So, you know, she's kind of piggybacking on Mark's claims here. She did not contact the police or Department of Community Services in relation to Tia's alleged abuse. She also made no effort to move out of her father's house where she and Tia were living.
0: Well, she was pretty worried about it. In, in the Age newspaper, she actually said that um, she was so concerned about the apparent abuse, she was thinking about contacting the magazine New Idea. Yeah,
1: New Idea. Because that would have helped. That's who you contact if you think someone's being abused. That speaks volumes about this case, really, doesn't it?
0: It really does.
1: News of his bastard, freaky, fuckhead friend being found guilty of two murders did nothing to improve the mental state of Keith Schreiber. Concerned by the deterioration in Keith's mood and appearance, his probation officer thought it best that Keith talked to a psychologist, but Keith didn't go to the appointment. On August 14th, Keith told his probation officer that he'd hardly slept or eaten in the past week. He also said that he was now homeless. He'd been staying with his sister Annette and her partner, but when they told him they were worried about what they thought to be his dependent relationship with Mark and Belinda, Keith had cracked the shits and left. Keith was assessed by the Illawarra Health Services Mental Health Mobile Treatment Team on August 15th. During the assessment, Keith told them that Belinda had stated that her daughter Tia had been sexually abused by her father Jack. The psychiatrist noted that Keith seemed to take the issue personally.
0: Keith and Jack had hated each other for years. They both thought each other were total dickholes.
1: Unfortunately, the psychiatrist couldn't find the necessary evidence of mental illness to justify detaining Keith under the Mental Health Act. The offer was made to him to remain in care voluntarily, but he refused. Interestingly, the doctor found that Keith was a long-term risk of harm to himself and others, but did not pose an immediate risk. According to the book Bound by Blood, The Wollongong Murders by John Souter Linden, after all the trauma with Mark's accusations in his trial, Jack's family and friends urged him to move away from Albion Park so he could start over somewhere else. Animal lover Jack thought seriously about leaving the area and investing in a small property where he could have animals.
0: <gasps> like Joe Exotic?
1: No, not like Joe Exotic.
0: Uh, okay, like Carol Baskin.
1: <laughs> Jack hesitated to move from the area as he was worried about leaving Tia behind with Belinda and her drug habits. His old friend Anne Stafford had a sister who lived in Wagga Wagga, which was around four and a half hours drive from Wollongong. Jack decided that he would move there and start a new business. Before he left, he told friends and family that he planned to change his will to leave everything to Tia and cut Mark and Belinda out of it entirely. We're unsure if he told Belinda this, but others knew and word got back to her. Jack planned to put his estate into a trust for Tia that she could access when she was 21, as he was worried that Belinda would spend it all on drugs. When Jack left for Wagga on August 12, 2000, his friends were relieved. After the comments Belinda had made to the media about him needing to pay for the fabricated abuse claims made by Mark, they were worried that she'd do something to him. On his first night in Wagga, Jack was unable to get in touch with Belinda by phone. He worried so much about Tia that he came back to Albion Park the next day.
0: On the 14th, his ex-wife Elizabeth dropped in at his house and told Jack that Belinda had made a deal to pay Keith to kill him.
1: Yep, apparently she offered him $2,000 in her car. I'm imagining it was a hatchback and it smelled like menthol ciggies.
0: Jack told solicitor Paul Stanley about the contract on his life, saying he didn't know whether to treat the threat seriously or not as both his wife and daughter were liars. Paul Stanley told Jack that he should report the threat to police, but Jack wasn't sure if he would or not. Well,
1: it would have been hard to take his legal advice seriously if Paul Stanley had his kiss makeup on.
0: Sing in Detroit Rock City. Mm-hmm. Jack's friends were very worried about him being back, in light of the contract on his life, but 48-year-old Jack reckoned he'd be safe in his own house. Shortly after he returned from Wagga, Belinda and Jack got into a fight.
1: Which are tastier, pancakes or sausages?
0: It's, po- it's possible, Tara, that it might have been a more pressing topic this oh, time. Okay. Knowing how much he and Jack hated each other, Belinda rushed to tell her puppet and sort of boyfriend Keith that her dad had called him a pissy little ant poofter.
1: An ant poofter?
0: Yeah, what even is an ant poofter, Tara?
1: Um, male attracted to male ants?
0: I think it just sounds like more casual homophobic bullshit. I
1: think you're right.
0: Belinda and Keith Schreiber had decided to visit her brother and his good mate, Mark, at Silverwater Prison. Unfortunately for them, they were unable to see Mark as they hadn't organised the visit because it's not a hospital. Yeah,
1: you can't just pop in, can you? You kind of need to yeah. plan in advance when visiting a prison.
0: Instead, they went to the Shell Harbour Shopping Centre. While Belinda waited in a car, Keith went into the shopping centre to get himself a spot of lunch. I bet
1: she was chain-smoking the whole time.
0: He also bought himself a pair of black cotton gloves from Best and Less. The couple sat in her car in the parking lot and talked for hours. Belinda told Keith about the argument she'd had with her dad and the fact that he called Keith a pissy little ant poofter and said he wasn't scared of him. (laughs) This was not the sort of thing bully Keith liked hearing. He said he showed Belinda the gloves he'd bought but didn't tell her why he bought them. They hung out for four hours before Belinda went home and an agitated and angry Keith wandered off.
1: Sounds like they were plotting something, doesn't it?
0: It sure does, Tara. Although Tia and Belinda had their own rooms at Jack's place, Belinda decided to have Tia sleep with her that night for reasons. Jack was a man who took household security seriously, which is just as well. He never went to bed before checking all the doors and windows were locked and he had a security alarm to alert him if anyone tried to break in during the night. It's unclear if Jack turned the alarm system on that night, but what is clear is that it wasn't working.
1: Perhaps somebody turned it off.
0: Perhaps it was the same person who ensured they left a window in Tia's bedroom open that night too.
1: At around midnight that night, August 17th, according to court documents, Keith crept onto Jack Van Crevel's property. He grabbed a small axe that was hanging in the garage. Keith then moved a yellow bucket to under Tia's open bedroom window and stood on it so he was tall enough to enter Jack's house through the window. He went to the kitchen and obtained a large knife. He then went to Jack's bedroom where Jack was sleeping. Jack heard Keith bump into a chest of drawers when he entered the bedroom and woke up. That's when Keith struck him on the head with the axe. As Jack rolled to the centre of the bed yelling out in protest, Keith, wielding the axe with both hands, rained down blow after blow on Jack's head. He tried to cut Jack's neck with the knife and to stab him in the heart, but as it was dark in the bedroom, he couldn't see what he was doing. In a desperate attempt to avoid the blows, Jack rolled off the bed. Keith ran to the lounge room where he, a bl- where he grabbed a brass-handled poker from near the fireplace. He returned to the bedroom and turned on the light. Jack was kneeling at the side of the bed, bleeding profusely, and called to his executioner by name. Keith said, "'This is from Mark, fucking pedophile bastard. "'You'll never molest another kid again.' Then he smashed Jack in the neck, first with the poker, then several times with the axe, until he heard his neck crack. Then he cut open Jack's neck with the knife to expel air from his airways. He also cut up his right leg, down the length of his spine, on his buttocks and around his anus. Although Keith was hoping to inflict as much pain as possible on Jack, The post-mortem findings showed that he was dead by the time Keith cut him up. The forensic psychologist who conducted Jack's post-mortem detected 25 chop wounds to his head and neck. There were also numerous stab wounds and lacerations to his torso.
0: We'll be back with the conclusion of Blood Oath, the Van Crevel Evil, after this.
1: A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. All right, Bonnie, what time is it?
0: It's true crime net time. Woo! Hooray! true crime Crime nerd time is an opportunity for you our listeners to give us your recommendations for anything true crime related it can be a book movie tv series graphic novel song or just about anything that has scratched your true crime itch you can record your voice just do it on your phone we'll play it or write it and we'll read it out and we have yet another one here from tracy stewart
1: tracy is so great I put a call out in the group for someone to write a nerd time about this book, since it features in the case. And Tracy came through for us. She's a true crime nerd time all-star, so we better send her something special.
0: Let's put her on staff. Yeah. <laughs> and she writes, Hi Barney and Tara, I had offered to read and review the A to Z encyclopedia of serial killers by Howard Schecter, and then the world went a little bit crazy. So I'm sorry it's a bit late. Oh, God, we understand. Oh,
1: and it's not late. This is perfect timing.
0: This is perfect, Tracy. And she writes, This wasn't what I expected it to be. I thought of kind it was going to be a comprehensive, well, encyclopedia of serial killers, because it says so. But I was surprised to see actual entries for mostly the big names in the serial killer trade only, like your Dharma, your Gacy, your Gein, your Fish. Lots of others were mentioned in other entries but didn't rate their own separate articles. Some were only listed under nicknames like the Moors' murderers instead of those murderers' names. Not far into it, I was also hoping that the Bathtubs article was going to be a typical of what the book would be like. It brought in the different ways tubs have been involved in murders. Being the scene of the crime or the location of dismemberment, I was kind of hoping for entries on, say, oil drums or decapitations or alligators or whatever. Yeah! I mean, being fed to pigs or something would be I good, know, yeah. there'd
1: be a lot of Picton in that one though, wouldn't there?
0: There would. It would also be nice to have a comprehensive listing of victims so that they are given as much attention as their killers.
1: Yep.
0: It's a very readable book. I got through the 400-odd pages in just over a day. I'm quarantined, so no problem. It's very well written, although the authors rely a little too much on words like psycho and monster, which is a bit problematic. The book was originally published in 1995 and reissued in 2005, so there have obviously been developments that couldn't be covered here. The focus of the book is on the proud, proud title holder of Home to the Most Serial Killers Ever, the USA, America. The authors acknowledge that other foreign countries exist and even that foreign serial killers exist. But really, why bother with people who talk funny (laughs) when there's so much scope in American-on-American bloodshed? So while a handful of foreign murderers get featured, there aren't many, and I did wonder, now and then, they and the other killers who got their own articles were chosen. Body count, sensationalism of their crimes, it's pretty inconsistent. The upshot is, I liked it, but it could have been so much better. Much love, Tracy Stewart from Connecticut. Well, thank you, Tracy. Yes, Perfect. She came through again. Now, if you'd like to submit a true crime nerd time, visit our website, bloodymurderpodcast.com, for instructions on how to contribute.
1: This year has been a rough one for a lot of us. Life's busy, and unfortunately, it isn't always great.
0: We're both big believers in therapy, but finding the time to go can be a problem.
1: Do you have something that is interfering with your happiness or preventing you from achieving your goals? If so, BetterHelp Online Counselling is there for you.
0: BetterHelp offers licensed professional counsellors who are specialised in issues such as depression, stress, anxiety, relationships, loneliness, self-esteem, isolation and more.
1: You can connect with a professional counsellor in a safe and private online environment. Anything you share is confidential and it's so convenient, particularly now, now more so than ever.
0: You can now get help at your own time and at your own pace. You can schedule secure video or phone sessions plus chat and text with your therapist. If
1: you're not happy with your counsellor, you can request a new one at any time at no additional cost.
0: It's a service that is available worldwide and you could be communicating with a counsellor in under 24 hours. Best
1: of all, it's a truly affordable option and as a Bloody Murder listener, you get 10% off your first month with the discount code BLOODYMURDER.
0: So why not get started today? Go to betterhelp.com forward slash bloody murder. Simply fill out the questionnaire and help them assess your needs and get matched with a counsellor that really suits you. That's
1: betterhelp.com forward slash bloody murder.
0: With the discount code bloody murder. One word. The Evidence Locker is a weekly
1: podcast about international true crime. Made by hardcore true crime fans, it's somewhat
0: grungy. Join us. As we explore the dark corners of the globe, we've covered cases from Sweden, Brazil, Australia, and the US, to mention a few. Find us on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts.
1: And now back to Blood Oath, the Van Crevel evil.
0: Jack Van Crevel's savage murder was not a quiet affair. Belinda and Tia heard everything coming from the room next door and frightened little Tia asked her mum what was happening to her poppy. Belinda had her mobile phone with her in the bedroom but made no attempt to call the police or leave the house to seek help. Instead, she huddled under the blankets in bed with Tia. Sometime after the attack was over, she put Tia in the car and drove over 10 kilometres to the Warilla Police Station. She did not bother to check on her father to see if he was alive and in need of medical attention before doing so. Detective Joe spoke to TV show Forensic Investigators and questioned why Belinda would drive 15 minutes to the Warilla police station when she could have driven five minutes to the Albion Park cop shop instead. When police arrived at Jack's place after his murder, they observed bloody shoe prints leading from Jack's bedroom to the fireplace where his killer had grabbed the fire poker and back. They noticed a bloody shoe print in Tia's room from where the killer had climbed on a kiddie sofa to get back out the window. They also noted blood smears on Belinda's door and door handle. The two main suspects in Jack's murder from the outset were Belinda and Keith.
1: I wonder why.
0: Jack's murder investigation was codenamed Strike Force Revan. Detectives tried to track down Keith who was of no fixed address at this time. When detectives told Mark his dad had been killed, he, of course, showed no remorse at all. They interviewed him to see if he had any involvement in the murder, as his dad had been written on his kill list in his copy of the A to Z Encyclopedia of Serial Killer book. He also told friends he planned to kill him and threatened Jack with being his number three victim a week before his arrest. Mark had questions of his own, Tara, and was trying to find out all the gory details of his father's murder. He was frustrated by the police's unwillingness to give him these bloody details. He said nothing that led investigators to believe he was involved in Jack's murder. Belinda was pretty chill when interviewed by detectives after her father's brutal slaying. In fact, she was cooler than a cucumber dropped in a can of liquid nitrogen. She immediately pointed the finger at Mark and suggested he organised Jack's murder from behind bars. The police were very suspicious of Belinda's story from the get-go. They wondered why during the attack she didn't seek help from neighbours and why she didn't call the police on her mobile phone. Although she heard her father being hacked up with an axe, beaten with a poker and stabbed with a knife, she later asked detectives if he'd been shot.
1: Ah, oh, classic Belinda.
0: <laughs> oh, yeah, that'll throw him off, won't it?
1: Yeah, I mean, obviously she had no involvement because like she thought he got shot.
0: Police questioned Belinda at length about Jack's murder. They also asked her if she was in a sexual relationship with Keith. Belinda tried to deflect the question by telling the police she didn't think it was relevant.
1: Well, she's clearly not a true crime aficionado. We know who's banging who is always relevant.
0: Oh, yeah. When detectives pressed the matter, Belinda lied and denied being in a sexual relationship with Keith.
1: Well, you know, you would.
0: (laughs) As police didn't have enough to hold Belinda, despite their suspicions, they had to let her go. Keith, like so much hair on the bathroom floor after a freshly shaved reverse mohawk, was in the wind.
1: I'm sorry to point out that uh, Keith actually had a pretty standard haircut at the time of the murder.
0: Well, it was a good metaphor.
1: It was a good metaphor, though. I appreciated it. Keith was spotted later that day, loitering at Albion Park train station and arrested... When police approached him and asked him if he was Keith Schreiber, he denied it.
0: Well, you would, wouldn't you?
1: (laughs) Oh, poor Keith. We're pretty hard on Keith. I mean, you know, he's, he's not that bright.
0: No, he's not, is he?
1: He was unarmed when arrested and acted like he didn't know what was going on and hadn't heard about Jack's murder. The boots that he was wearing at the time just happened to match the shoe prints found at Jack's murder scene. Detective Joe Cassar was brought in to question Keith as they had a rapport due to the time spent together when Cassar was investigating the murders Mark committed. Isn't it nice to have a bond? During questioning, Keith denied any involvement in the bloody attack. After listening to all his denials, the detective asked Keith why he did it, and Keith replied, I done it. Happy? Classic Keith. Without much more prompting, Keith busted into a blow-by-blow rendition of the murder. He said he wanted to kill Jack for the sexual abuse he had apparently perpetrated on Mark and Tia. Belinda had filled his head with ideas of Tia being abused. She'd essentially used Keith as a weapon, winding him up and pointing him in the direction of her father. Keith also admitted to sort of being in a sexual relationship with Belinda. When asked about his emotional state when killing Jack, Keith said that he felt lonely. He said he was depressed and angry too, but mostly lonely. In response to being asked how long ago he started to think about killing Jack, Keith replied, "Off oh, for a little while. But Belinda's told me that they got in an argument and Jack said to her, I really hope that pissy little ant to Keith fucking comes here and kills me and tries to kill me. And that's what Belinda told me. So he only got what he asked for anyway, eh? Keith went on to admit that Belinda had spurred him on to commit the murder and he knew that she'd wanted Jack killed for a while. During the walkthrough of the murder scene with detectives, although Keith had apparently got a knife from the kitchen drawer, he couldn't find which drawer in the kitchen held the knives. He tried several drawers and swore in frustration when he was wrong. Now this is likely because Belinda had left the knife that he used to murder Jack out for him.
0: You'd think he would have been familiar with the Van Crevel's kitchen after all the souffle baking competitions he and Mark had as teenagers, but no.
1: When asked, Keith told detectives that he'd thrown his bloody clothes and gloves in a dumpster after the murder, and police found them where he said they'd be. Keith fronted Wollongong local court in baggy pants and a Bob Marley T-shirt.
0: Ah, dressing to impress.
1: You know how the old saying goes, dress for the prison sentence you want, not the prison sentence you have. That's right. We're going to pull a quote from the court documents now about Keith's frame of mind when he committed the murder. They read, It is clear that at the time of the killing, he was in a disturbed mental state, engendered in large part by his preoccupation with the abuse which he believed the deceased had visited upon Mark and the child, Tia. He himself, as a child, had been the victim of physical and sexual abuse by a teacher, I have referred to his account to Dr. Westmore of inappropriate sexual contact by the deceased, but that appears to be of little significance for present purposes. So, yeah, I think that at some point he pointed that, did he also point the finger at Jack and say that he sexually abused him too? I'm losing track. He said
0: he hit on him, yeah.
1: Right, okay, yeah, because everyone's just like an evil person with homosexual leanings, right? Yeah. Yeah, it's a pretty clear message, isn't it?
0: After Jack's funeral, his sister Sue told media Jack agreed to let them ruin his good name. He threw himself on his sword. He perjured himself in the hope the plea of diminished responsibility would gain credibility. He never beat or threatened his son. He was the best father in the world. He would defend those kids against anything. And yet another example of Elizabeth Carroll, Mark and Belinda's mum, sweeping in with questionable motives... Elizabeth tried to reconnect with her daughter, only to ask for her to share the inheritance she received from her dead father. Yeah. Oh, this family. Two weeks after Jack's murder on September 1st was Mark's sentencing hearing. The prosecution stated that the brutal and merciless murders deserved a life sentence. Prosecutor Paul Conlon asked the court to dismiss Mark's claims of sexual abuse due to the startling inconsistencies in his story and the impossibility of his account of the victim's sexual advances towards him. Due to several mitigating factors, sentencing was put off until December 21st, 2000. This was when 21-year-old Mark was sentenced to two life sentences without the possibility of parole and gained the dubious honour of being the youngest person in New South Wales to receive such a heavy sentence. Jack's family were happy that the judge and jury had all rejected Mark's claims Jack had sexually abused him. Mark was put in the Supermax wing of Goldman Correctional Centre where one of his neighbours was backpacker killer Ivan Millat. He had no luck getting his sentence reduced on appeal. Not long after Jack's murder, Belinda put his house on the market and moved in with her ex-fiancé, Dustin Barden. The house took a while to sell and it fetched $280,000. Belinda later expressed regret she hadn't got more for it. She started burning through the money, buying cars and spending around $1,000 a week on ecstasy, meth and coke and probably having pancakes for breakfast every day.
1: Yeah, nah, Belinda isn't much of a food eater, she's more of a soul eater
0: Police were still investigating Belinda, trying to figure out what role she played in her father's death And learned Jack had told a solicitor she'd put a contract out on him Detectives believed she wanted Jack killed before he cut her out of his will Belinda's mother, Elizabeth, told police Belinda had said to her many times she hated her father so much she'd kill him or have him killed.
1: Oh, it's interesting that Elizabeth went to the police after Belinda refused to, like, give her money.
0: Yeah, I think that's uh, very interesting.
1: Yeah, she just sort of, mm, I don't know. Yeah, this whole family, it's really, um, it's a uh, sordid tale indeed.
0: Apparently Belinda had told her mum she'd asked Keith to do it And said the plan was for him to cut Jack's body into small pieces And throw them in the Kaima blowhole Which
1: isn't a great plan
0: No it isn't Tara Mm -hmm. Time it wrong and the pieces will be blown back out of the blowhole In a torrent of seawater, flesh and bones raining down on you
1: (laughs) Yeah pretty much
0: (laughs) Elizabeth confirmed Belinda and Keith were in a sexual relationship, which, like most great love stories of our time, started over bongs in the back seat of a car before her brother's murder trial.
1: Ah, uh, just like Bogey and Bacall.
0: And Romeo and Juliet before them. Uh. After initially pleading not guilty to Jack Van Crevel's murder, Keith eventually changed his plea to guilty.
1: Strike Force Revan continued to investigate Belinda, bugging her phone and keeping her under surveillance. They found out she was sending money to Keith and had sent him a message while he was in the holding cells. She asked a corrections officer to tell him that she loved him and she also sent him poorly
0: worded love letters. Oh, I love you, Keefe, More than I love menthol, cigars and pingers, eh?
1: Oh, love you too, Belinda. More than I love Satan and bucket bongs. (laughs) A school friend told police that at 15, Belinda had offered friends $2,000 to kill Jack because she hated him and wanted his money. In the book, Bound by Blood, The Wollongong Murders, we read that detectives interviewed an ex-boyfriend of Belinda's named Scott Sunderland. He told detectives Belinda said that she wanted her mother Elizabeth killed too because she was worried she'd tell police incriminating things about her.
0: Which she did.
1: He also stated that she told him she'd left the axe and a knife and torch laid out for Keith to use when he murdered her father.
0: As we suspected.
1: After Keith killed Jack, according to Scott, he went into Belinda's room and said, ''Hey, babe, it's finished.'' Belinda then put on a kids' video to amuse Tia and made Keith a Vegemite sandwich.
0: She just smiled and gave me a Vegemite sandwich.
1: This is where the band Men at Work got that lyric for Land Down Under from.
0: Really? No! (laughs) Uh.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Belinda's ex, Scott, had all the goss. He told police she'd gotten pregnant to Keithy, but had an abortion as she balked at the idea of breeding with her father's killer.
0: Scruples, Belinda has one.
1: Eh, maybe. Uh, Scott later proved himself to be a bit of a dick, so we're taking that with a grain of salt. He said Belinda told him that if he went to the cops and dogged on her, she'd have him, his brother and his grandma killed.
0: Oh, I'll leave Nana out of this.
1: On June 1st, Belinda was arrested and charged with her father's murder. Police opposed bail as they feared for the safety of witnesses. Rightly so. The assets of Frank's estate were frozen to prevent Belinda from profiting from the crime and give police time to see if Jack had recently changed his will. This meant Belinda couldn't afford her own solicitor and had to be represented by one from legal aid. Would have been a pretty dark time to be a legal aid solicitor in Wollongong in this period, wouldn't it? Oh, yeah. Belinda was being held at Malawa Detention Centre for Women. She tried to escape but was unsuccessful.
0: Oh, yeah, she tried to hide in a dumpster. <laughs> it was
1: appropriate but it didn't work. No. During the next six months, she was reprimanded 16 times. Court records state that the offences included intimidation, damaging or destroying property, using insulting, abusive or threatening language and disobeying directions.
0: Yeah, the prison guards called her Belinda Van Evil.
1: And it's stuck. Um, She uh, gets called that a bit in the press too. Mm. She was eventually moved to Parkley Correctional Centre, which is a male prison, but they put her in segregation in her own area there.
0: On December 19th, Keith, who had pleaded guilty to Jack's murder, was sentenced. The judge accepted that Keith was in a disturbed mental state at the time of the murder and under the belief Jack had sexually abused Mark and Tia. He was sentenced to 16 years with a non-parole period of 12.
1: Yeah, so he'd be out of prison by now.
0: He would. Hi, Keith, if you're listening. Oh,
1: yeah. Hi, Keith. Bring back the inverted mohawk.
0: It was a good look. It is a good look. On June 22, 2002, Belinda's trial began. Belinda stated she would plead guilty to the lesser charge of soliciting a murder if the murder charge was dropped. But it wasn't. Keith was called as a witness for the prosecution but refused to turn dog on his special lady friend and said he had nothing to say. He was excused. They had enough taped evidence of Keith talking about Belinda's involvement without him having to say a word in court. Shockingly, the trial was aborted because Belinda's ex, Scott Sunderland, had tried to blackmail Belinda. Apparently said he wouldn't testify against her if the price was right. He and another of her exes, Dustin Barden, had also been inconsistent in the stories they told police about Belinda's involvement in her father's murder. In the wake of yet another aborted trial, the Director of Public Prosecutions admitted they didn't have enough evidence to try Belinda for murder. After the murder charge was dropped, Belinda pleaded guilty to the solicitation charge, meaning she could face up to 25 years in jail. She was sentenced to only six years with a non-parole period of four. Jack's family and friends were disappointed by the brevity of the sentence. Belinda was released from prison on June first, two thousand and seven. Telling media, oh, "I just want to get on with my life." Hey, <laughs> you just got to put an "a" on the end of everything she says, don't you? I know, but I
1: don't even think she does that. But that is definitely uh, the spirit. <laughs>
0: yeah. <laughs> But Belinda's version of getting on with her life differs a lot from what you or I would mean by it.
1: Yeah, I mean, it implies that she's going to straighten up and fly right.
0: Which is the opposite of what she did, Tara. In 2010, she was arrested for assault and theft but managed to stay out of prison.
1: In late 2008, Belinda found love with a man named Marshall Gould who she'd met at a rug shop.
0: What's rug shop a euphemism for?
1: <laughs> in this context, it isn't. Um, they literally met at a rug shop in Belrose, Sydney. Uh, Marshall was a rug salesman.
0: Ah, do the carpets match the drapes.
1: Oh, well, they did once she'd bought a new carpet. No, <laughs> <I> don't <laughs> fucking know. <laughs> I guess that's why you go to the rug shop, so that you can buy a rug to match your drapes. I mean, yeah?
0: Well, yeah, you've gotta you got to consult a professional. <laughs>
1: <Yeah>. <laughs> so she had to bring in her drapes and show them to him and go to yeah. him, and, do you have a carpet to match these? And That's right. And that's when love bloomed.
0: And then they looked into each other's eyes. And
1: And they went, well, oh, I love you, hey.
0: Oh, I love you. You want to have some bucket bongs in my car? Oh,
1: <laughs> well, it's so romantic, <laughs> isn't it? After seeing each other for a few months, according to the Daily Telegraph, Belinda gave Marshall a copy of the book, Bound by Blood, The Wollongong Murders, and said, I'll read this and anything on your mind, just ask me. Now, we find this really interesting as we use this book a lot as a source and it is not perpetuating Belinda and Mark's story about Jack abusing them. Quite the opposite. It outlines very clearly that Jack was innocent of the sexual abuse they accused him of.
0: It really clearly shows that he was a dedicated father too. He really tried his best.
1: I know, so don't you think it's weird that Belinda would give a copy of the book to like her love interest and be like, yeah, here you go, Yeah, just hit me up yeah. with any questions? It almost makes me feel like she's admitting that that was actually something that didn't happen, but she doesn't admit it, so. Marsha went on to say... I actually wasn't that concerned after I read it. There were a few questions I asked her, but pretty much oh, I wasn't that put off by it.
0: <laughs> it sounds like he kind of got off on it.
1: Yeah, well, he does call her his real-life femme fatale.
0: He also has a big, bold, black Belinda together forever, always tattoo on his forearm.
1: Yeah, it's in a similar position to where she has her big, bold, black mark tattoo.
0: Do you think they got some kind of two-for-one discount?
1: No, yeah, maybe. The two lovebirds welcomed a baby boy together but Belinda and Marshall's romantic bliss hit a bit of a bump in the road though. One night in July 2013 when Belinda was drinking heavily and had taken prescription drugs, she went and grabbed a knife from the kitchen and stabbed Marshall seven times. It just doesn't end, does it? He received wounds to his left arm, gouging his bicep like so deeply that it nearly went all the way through to the other side. Uh, She then stabbed him three more times in his right arm, leg and the back of his neck. Marshall told the Daily Telegraph, Oh, I didn't call the police because I didn't want her charged. It wasn't normal behaviour and I didn't want anything to come of it. Instead, Marshall went to his dad's house in the hope of recuperating there. But his dad was like, Are you fucking crazy? You're dying. His dad rushed him to the ER at St George's Hospital.
0: I love Marshall's dad. Mm-hmm. There's a bit on 60 Minutes, where he he says that Belinda rang him the next day and said, uh, "Where's Marshall? Yeah. Is Marshall there?" And he goes, "What? You don't remember? You stabbed him." She goes, oh, "No, I don't remember that. Are oh, you crazy bitch? You nearly killed him." <laughs> <laughs> and he just goes off at her.
1: Yeah, yeah. He was he was kind of like, "Oh yeah, Belinda's all right. She's pretty nice, but she's fucking nuts." <laughs> <laughs> Bound by their obligation to report any stabbings, staff at the hospital called the police. At first, Marshall told police that he'd been mugged by three men who'd stabbed him. He said, I didn't want Belinda to be in trouble. Oh, I just wanted us to be able to work through it ourselves.
0: Yeah, one of them had a moustache, one was wearing an eye patch and one had a wooden leg.
1: Yes, yes. (laughs) They went that way. Belinda was eventually charged with wounding with intent to cause grievous bodily harm. Marshall later told 60 Minutes that Belinda was calling him Jack and thinking that he was her father when she stabbed him.
0: He might have just added the Jack bit to tie into her and Mark's favourite pre-existing narrative.
1: Yeah, look, it's certainly possible.
0: Are you sure she wasn't yelling pancakes? (laughs)
1: pretty sure. For her part, Belinda said that she doesn't remember attacking her boyfriend. She was sentenced to three years in jail. Marshall said he still loved her after the sentence was handed down.
0: Marshall is ride or die. Possibly ride and die.
1: Yeah, we should probably check in on him, see how he's going. (laughs) The judge said the couple had a tempestuous relationship with both taking apprehended violence orders out on each other numerous times. Actually, at the time of the attack, Belinda happened to be on good behaviour bonds for assaulting and stalking Marshall.
0: Ah, just like Bergy and Bacall.
1: Belinda served 18 months in jail for this one. Whoa.
0: Yeah, I'd call that—I'd call that attempted murder, wouldn't you?
1: Yeah, but uh, you know, Marshall was was really trying to play it all down as much as possible. I think he yeah. just—I think he probably thought it was sexy. It was pretty hot. I was into it. Woo! <laughs> <laughs> I love a lady who's a bit stabby. It Sh- shows me that she cares.
0: Oh yeah, stabby.
1: She's my femme fatale. She can stab me in the neck any time she wants.
0: Right through me, right through me, muscle. Yeah,
1: all the way through. All um, the way through. If it's real love, you don't mind.
0: She stabbed me in the guns.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and A gun show had to be cancelled once the bandages went on.
0: After her release, Belinda gave an interview to 60 Minutes where she said she still loved her brother Mark and wasn't scared by the murders he committed. Although she admitted Mark killed two people, she said he was an innocent victim and doubled down in her whole its daddy's fault routine. During the interview, she was shown a copy of the A to Z of serial killers book Mark had written his kill list in. She was shocked to see her name on the list, but it didn't cause her support for her brother to wane. You know, Keith was on that list as well.
1: Yeah, I know. I think he just wrote down the names of everybody he knew. Like, every every (laughs) name he'd heard of.
0: Belinda admitted she asked Keith to kill Jack for her, but she felt no responsibility for the murder or guilt over Keith being sent to prison.
1: Ah, classic Belinda.
0: But wait, there's more, Tara. There's
1: always more. A
0: year later, she was charged with pawning a stolen mobile phone and meth possession. In November 2017, Belinda was sentenced to 15 months jail for stealing an elderly woman's handbag. She stole an old lady's handbag. She stole an
1: old lady's handbag.
0: According to mamamia.com.au, Magistrate Michael Stottart called her actions pathetic.
1: Oh, and she didn't bother to show up for her court date on that one either. Like, well, she
0: was busy. She's busy that day Yeah In late 2019, 39-year-old Blinda was charged with shoplifting On September 4th that year, she went into Aldi's in Warrawong, picked up several trays of meat, $200 worth, and shoved them into a backpack and reusable shopping bag before scampering out of the store When she was arrested, she said she planned to sell the meat to buy drugs So Tara, I ask you this, where do you sell second-hand meat?
1: Yeah, that's a, that's a good question uh, LinkedIn
0: well, I mean, it's a terrible dating site, so probably <laughs> just get meat there.
1: Yeah, that's where, the, that's where the secondhand meat goes to rot.
0: So, yeah, so Warrawong Plaza is where she's been doing all this five-finger discounts. Mm-hmm. But despite being, despite being banned from Warrawong Plaza for six months, she went back three days later. This time she went to a clothing store, TK Maxx, where she gave herself another five-finger discount by ramming several items into her bag. As she went to leave the store to make sure she didn't activate the security buzzers, Belinda squeezed between the scanner and glass door. The, this crime of the century was captured on CCTV <laughs> and police visited Belinda at home for the second time in less than a month. She copped to stealing the clothes to sell them to buy drugs. So, Tara, I have another question for mm-hmm. you. I wonder what's next for Belinda Van Crevel.
1: she should probably get done for soliciting someone to murder us for all the shit we well- said about her.
0: We did smack talk her a bit. Hopefully she's still only offering $2,000 to whack someone.
1: Yeah, I hope so. Although in this economy, uh, $2,000 is nothing to sneeze at.
0: Well, maybe she could throw in the hatchback as well.
1: (laughs) The, the, The hatchback that reeks of menthol ciggies.
0: Well, that was the story of Blood Oath, the Van Crevel Evil. What a goddamn story that is and what a family.
1: I know. I'm um, actually personally quite glad it's over. <laughs> it was a real it was a real dark turn researching into that sort of thing. <laughs> yeah, it
0: really was. <laughs>
1: it was one of the most brutal cases we've covered.
0: Oh yeah, I can't believe how many times I had to say anus. I
1: know, you got most of the anus stuff, didn't you?
0: <laughs> I really did. I
1: think I think that you wanted it secretly. You just like the way the word anus feels in your mouth.
0: No. No, that's not true.
1: Uh, I think you doth protest too much, Barney.
0: Oh no, I don't like saying anus all the time. Well
1: then, why did you do it?
0: I say bumhole. Bumhole's all right, but anus—I don't know. It, just, it, <laughs> it hurts my heart.
1: Why do you even care?
0: I want a second coffee. No, there's no time for that. I've got one question for you. Yes. What is Aussie as?
1: Aussie as are tales of criminals criminal aussie as a tales of criminal stupidity and bloody legends with a quintessentially australian flavor would you like to hear one yes i would all right sorry i just gotta hug the dog she's going nuts this one was suggested by deanne grinter so thanks for that deanne in an effort to stop the spread of the cunt many states in australia have closed their borders
0: uh, what did you call that? A cunt cuntronavirus. The
1: cuntronavirus. I like it. Police checkpoints have been set up to only allow those who need to travel interstate to be able to do so. Now you'd think this might make people cautious when trying to cross the border, but not this guy. He managed to do pretty much everything wrong. A 43-year-old man driving a stolen Holden Ute with hand-drawn fake paper number plates was stopped at the Gold Coast Highway Police Road Check in Balinga just before 3pm last Thursday. So not only did the man, who was travelling to Queensland from New South Wales, have a warrant out for his arrest, but a search of the stolen vehicle uncovered drugs, cash, a knife and a gel blaster.
0: Well, at least he didn't have a real gun. Oh, yeah, I'm
1: sure if he'd had access to one, though, he he would have popped it in the stolen ute with him.
0: Gel blasters are like paintball guns, aren't they, Tara?
1: Yeah, yeah, they're they're pretty similar. But instead of paint, they shoot some kind of, like, super absorbent polymer water beads. So they can be used in, like, a paintball situation, but they're often sold as garden moisture retainers. I'm pretty sure he was probably saying that's what he used it for. I'm just trying to keep my garden moist.
0: Well, that's right. I'm surprised he didn't have a tiger with him. Yeah,
1: well, I'm sure if he could have, he would have had a tiger cub riding shotgun. And the whole back of the ute would be full of expired meat.
0: Do you know what his hand-drawn paper number plates were drawn with?
1: Yeah, I'm not sure, actually.
0: Probably crayons.
1: Yeah, he just took one of his kids' drawings off the fridge, cut it to size, glued it onto the ute and thought to himself, she'll be right, mate. <laughs> Um, So, yeah, a Queensland police spokesperson said that the knucklehead was arrested without incident and taken to Palm Beach Police Station for further questioning. He's been charged with possession of dangerous drugs, possession of a knife, driving without a licence, unlawful use of a motor vehicle and possession of stolen property. And um, so he's been released on bail probably trying to cross another border as we speak, and he'll appear in Southport Magistrates Court on June 17th. I'll be there. Yeah, you're going to be there? You're going to bring no, a tiger no. cub with you?
0: Well, yeah, I can, hear. he can buy one for about $2,000. Yeah. Why didn't someone tell me that like 10 years ago?
1: I think a lot of people are feeling that way. But just because you can no. buy a tiger cub for $2,000 doesn't mean that you should buy a tiger cub for $2,000. So this brings us to the end of another episode. But before we go, we'd like to thank some people who took the time to write us some good reviews. And when I say people, I mean person. So thank you very much to Annie Reynolds. We'd also like to thank our Facebook moderating team. Oh, and congratulations, Hilda. She had a oh,
0: bear. yes. Now, we love our patrons, Tara, and in an attempt to show them how much we do, we have been holding monthly giveaways.
1: March's lucky winner of a bloody murder Tara Touch My Muscles t shirt was Nellie Lerman. So, congratulations again, Nellie.
0: This month, we have a special prize. Thanks to Studio, we're giving away some Femme Studio wireless earbuds.
1: Those Scandinavian geniuses at Studio have done it again. With its wireless design and minimalistic charging case, Femme is the perfect match for any podcasting adventure. They are Splash, Rain, tomato sauce and sweat-proof, and they hold a total of 20 hours playtime, six hours in a single charge.
0: Tomato sauce-proof?
1: Well, you know, I figure if it's rain and sweat and splash-proof, you could probably spill some sauce on it drunkenly. I mean, you know I will, so I'll get back to you on that. But
0: but not Mountain Dew, that's untested.
1: Yeah, yeah, don't do the Mountain Dew thing.
0: Yeah, that's gnarly. FEM also introduces a four-microphone system and new touch controls for an enhanced sound quality experience. It also features the latest Bluetooth 5.0 technology compatible with iOS and Android and up to 10 metres of range. Perfect for murder stories. Oh,
1: and also it's good um, 10 metres of range, you know. Keep yourself at a safe distance from everyone.
0: For Bloody Murder listeners, Studio are offering free worldwide shipping and 15% off with the code bloody Murder 15 at checkout. So visit studio.com.
1: For a chance to win a pair of the fabulous Studio Femme wireless earbuds, uh, just join our Bloody Murder Patreon program for a level of $5 or above.
0: Now, we've had a bunch of new bloody legends join our Patreon program. So thank you to Lara Nelson,
1: Andrew and Abby Freeman,
0: Jazz Beer, Louisa
1: Wagner, She's Swiss. She's in Switzerland. She's a Swiss miss. Hey,
0: Russell B or Leo Sawu.
1: Chaotic jellyfish. David Lindsay. Miles Herbu. Penny Foster. Jeanette Kiyobasa.
0: Marissa Kirowak.
1: <laughs> we didn't sound confident, but we did say what we yeah, think the we, names we, are.
0: We we apologise if we got those wrong. Sorry, uh, we yeah.
1: apologise that no doubt we definitely. Probably got at least one of those wrong. <laughs> it's what we do. We talk funny.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's right. If you would like to support us, visit our website. Or if you just want to buy us a drink, there's a PayPal donate <laughs> button there too. That was my thirsty voice.
1: <laughs> wow, that one that was that was extra extra thirsty. That one. If you one. just want to
0: buy us a drink, you
1: sounded like you were saying it from like under six feet of quicksand.
0: <laughs> I was. And I was really thirsty too.
1: Yeah, for that second Uh, coffee that you keep hoping your girlfriend's going to surprise you with. But it ain't coming, buddy. It's not coming.
0: I I went to the shop last night and got her a bottle of gin.
1: (gasps) Well, that's pretty good.
0: So I'm kind of hoping that might count for something. I've been Barney Black. And
1: I've been Tara Saraban.
0: And this is Bloody Murder. Please
1: don't forget to review us on Apple Podcasts or our Facebook page.
0: And, of course, rate and subscribe. It really helps us. Um, You
1: can follow us through our Facebook page or join our fantastic Facebook group. Um, At Twitter, we're at Bloody Murder Pod, and on Instagram, we're bloody underscore murder underscore podcast.
0: Check out our website, bloodymurderpodcast.com, for news, galleries, more episodes, and links to our threadless merchandise. Coming soon, Bloody Murder Socks. Put them on your walking hands.
1: Oh, Bloody Murder Socks. That's going to be fun. Have you figured out what designs you want to do?
0: No, not yet. Mm. Anuses, I don't know (laughs) Bananas
1: Maybe you could do a a pair that are inspired by the Van Crevel case
0: Maybe I could put your face on them
1: (laughs) My face
0: (laughs) People could stand on your face
1: Yeah, stick your feet in me Oh,
0: no no.
1: I know, hey dude, I heard it I heard it when you heard it And I was like, no, that's not good You put
0: your own foot in your mouth then
1: (laughs) I wish it was just a foot (laughs) I wish it was just a foot (laughs) Thanks for sticking around, and we'll be back next week.
0: Goodbye and adios. And
1: keep kicking against the pricks.
0: And wash your hands and your bum. Yeah,
1: stay home. Um, Don't be like my neighbours and have fucking parties. have parties. Really? And people come and they listen to music. Remember, like, in the olden days when you used to have parties?
0: but proceeded to what Mark described as oral sex and anal intercourse. Oh, God, how many anal intercourses are we going to get in this? Yeah, you know what? Why do I have to say them all? You actually
1: do say most of them. Remember last week's episode, I ended up with all the swears? Well, this You is did, the...
0: you said, yeah.
1: Yep, mm. all the swears. Payback. Now you're ending up with all the all the, um, penile anal intercourse business.
0: I'd rather do all the swears.
1: Uh, <laughs> yeah, you know what, you're not wrong.
0: Well, you know, I mean,
1: suck, it, suck it, intercourse boy.
0: Saying, saying fuck ass is, is much better than saying anal intercourse. I know,
1: but we, we can't say fuck ass under these circumstances. Although it, this is a bunch of fuck ass lies, I'll tell you that much true.
0: Instead, they went to the Shell Harbour Shopping Centre. While Belinda waited in the car, Keith went into the shopping centre to get himself a spot of lunch. I bet
1: she was chain smoking the whole time.
0: And I bet he got KFC. No, apparently
1: he got himself a cheese and spinach roll. You know, like what, like a sausage roll, but it's cheese and spinach. Oh,
0: a spanakopita.
1: Well, it's not exactly a spanakopita, but it's like one.
0: I like saying spanakopita. It feels good in my mouth.
1: Mm. Inside Barney's. Spanakopita. Mouth, there's an interesting place. Spanakopita.
0: Oh, rum, rum, yum, yum, spanakopita. Perhaps it was the same person who ensured they left the window open in tar uh... What? I don't know. I don't Tara's know one. either.
1: My windows are shut. I can see them now. Shut. Like my heart.
0: Yeah. No. Wish your butt was. Oh,
1: this is like the one place in the world where I can't smell you from, and I like it.
0: <laughs> oh, I'll have to do something about oh, that. Oh, how? Oh, that's some, right. You were going to send me farts of...
1: in a jar, weren't you?
0: Well, I'm thinking about some kind of five-kilometre tube system.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm not going to plug the tube in here so I can smell that. I'm just going to tell you I, I have and, and they're not. I'm going to lie about it because uh, I've been influenced by I'll, this case.
0: I'll know if you're lying. How? I'll just know. <laughs> You'll smell it. <laughs> That's right. We'll be back with the conclusion of Blood <laughs> Earth of Incredible Evil after this.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's a good tone. Um, I should have actually done the whole murder in that voice, shouldn't I? All right. So I haven't worn makeup in like three weeks now.
0: Right, cool. i
1: plucked my eyebrows. Shit's getting feral.
0: Shit's getting feral?
1: What about you? I'm pretty sure when you dropped off the thing yesterday, I could smell you. How long since you've had a shower?
0: <laughs> <laughs> it's it's only been a couple of days. Okay. Yeah.
1: I've been showering. I, well, I walk the dog. We got showered by nature today.
0: Yeah, man, that rain. It's crazy.
1: I just really hope it doesn't flood. Like flooding and social distancing is so kind of a shitty combination.
0: Yeah, I don't even have a canoe.
1: Oh, no, I don't have one either.
0: Oh. Uh, did you, you've you've got a like um a jet ski though, haven't you?
1: I've got a tattoo of a jet ski. It's um oh. less buoyant. Helpful
0: in a flood. Sometime after the attack was over, she put Tia in the car and drove over ten kilometres to Warilla. <laughs> Warilla. Oh, Warilla. Sometime the Warilla after the... <laughs> the, the Warilla Anus
1: Murders. The Warilla
0: Anus Murders. <laughs> Stay tuned next week for the Rarilla Anus Murders.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's where we're going to make sure we say anus at least five times a sentence. Oh, that's a good dog. That's a good dog. She's very dramatic. Sometimes she just hurls herself down in front of the door and cries. Oh, no. He's gone to the shop and he's never coming back.
0: No, he, he will be coming back.
1: He's gone to the shop and he's going to be gone a good 10 minutes.
0: Oh, well there, yeah, that's true. Hey, Tara. Yeah? I I did something that's very Barney yesterday. I, I was at Aldi and I bought a, a sofa for the cat.
1: <laughs> you bought a cat sofa? <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah, it looks pretty cool. Where is it? It's like a, it's in the other room. Uh, I'll take a photo of it and send it to you, all right? Yeah. But the cat... It like it cost me $50. Are
1: you fucking kidding me? In this economy, you spent 50 bucks on a cat sofa.
0: <laughs> yeah, I'm an idiot. You're a
1: fucking idiot. <laughs> um, like what is it? What what are the features of the cat sofa? Like is it patterned? Is it is it please tell me it's leopard print at least?
0: No, it's not. It's a plain color. It's kind of grayish. And but it's got like a little wing uh, arms and uh it looks really comfy. Does he like to smoke the... a pipe in it? He yeah, well, he won't sit in it. <laughs>
1: He won't sit in his fifty dollar cat sofa.
0: I know, he won't sit in it. I put all his toys up there, and they just look at me, m- mock me, because <laughs> the cat won't sit in it.
1: <laughs> oh wow! Okay, yeah, that was quite the Barney, quite the Barney thing to do there.
0: Yeah, 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 classic Barney. Oh, yeah. the
1: dog's squawking.
0: That was kind of that's that was kind of sad when I dropped off that that um, printer to you, and I I just. I said to you, oh, I guess I'll see you in three months.
1: I know, but we don't know if that's true. Do we?
0: Yeah. Well, we don't know, really. There might be only a few weeks. Yeah. We'll see. Mightn't
1: be long It might enough. be never.
0: It might be never.
1: might be never. Yeah, I don't have to see you ever again. Although, I, I, yeah. I don't know. I was thinking, you know, I should probably dress up for our next recording. Not sure what I'll come as. <laughs> but I was thinking I might come as something. it would be good yeah. if I could come as a good podcaster.
0: <laughs> yeah, come as a good passer, but maybe just settle for human.
1: <laughs> yeah, I don't really feel like particularly human. I've kind of just, like, pretty much given up now. I've settled into so low far, stupid. like none. They had, they had the intercom on in the room and they kept lying that it wasn't on and they were using sonic pressure on my head
0: since 1997.